Father, again, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you uh, for this time of fellowship and, 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 and worship uh, before us today, Lord. And now, Father, as we settle our hearts and our minds to hear your word, we ask you uh, that you would just bless us, Lord God, with the ability to not only hear, but to, again, to be doers of your word at the same time. Lord God, uh, we've had a tremendous time these last few days with family and friends, Lord God, celebrating and giving thanks, Lord God. But even right now, Lord God, we continue to dig in uh, because, Father, when we consider ourselves, Lord God, we are so complex uh, beings, as you know, because we're made in your image. But we're so complex and we have so many different layers to who we are. And Lord God, you want to speak right to us. Uh, you want to speak in such a way that is unique to each and every one of us. Uh, so we receive your word, Lord God, and we open our hearts, our minds, Lord God, and our very spirits to absorb all uh, that you have in store for us today. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. In today's message, we are simply going to focus on two individuals. And it will not necessarily be Jesus, per se. Our attention, number one, will be drawn to a woman who is obviously broken. And she expressed that brokenness in a unique way of worship towards Jesus. And then we're going to focus our attention on this guy named Simon. No, not Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. No, not him. But Simon, who is a Pharisee. The way that he views things, he only views it in terms of judgment, not only of Jesus, quite naturally, as you know some of the history in the New Testament, but also judgment concerning this woman that I just mentioned. So we're going to talk about two people again. That is, number one, this broken woman, and then number two, this judging man, this judgy Pharisee. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, this is, he asked Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table, when she learned that Jesus was sitting at the table eating in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
one of the very people who despised Jesus, wanted him to come to dinner at his home. It is striking that one of the men from this group that we know as the Pharisees, that they sought to discredit Jesus. This guy who was part of this group nevertheless invited Jesus into his house. And the interesting thing is that Jesus accepted his invitation. So not only did this scoundrel, who we know being a part of this group that was up to no good, invited Jesus, Jesus accepted. And if you know who Jesus is, you know that Jesus is God. And one of the attributes of God is that he is omniscient. That means he knows everything. And if Jesus knows everything, he knows what's on the hearts and the minds of folks. So we must not forget that this Simon, that he was one of those Pharisees. One from that group of antagonists who sought to bring dishonor on Jesus because he was not one of them and, and did not teach like them. But also according to Luke chapter 7 verse 30, that the Pharisees as a group, that they rejected, listen to this, they rejected the purpose of God for their life. Uh, you hear what I'm saying? Did you hear what Scripture says? Again, Luke 7, verse 30. That the Pharisees rejected God's purpose for their life. Uh, they heard the word of God, but they said, oh, no thank you, God. But yet they're walking around representing God. Another interesting fact of this ancient culture was that they considered it a virtue to invite a teacher to their home, right? So if there was a teacher somewhere out teaching in the neighborhood, they thought it was a good thing for them, and it was a good thing for that teacher as well to go to the home if you invited them, and especially if that teacher was from out of town. So Jesus, he knew their hearts, and and knew about the scandal they were attempting to lay upon him. But nevertheless, knowing all of this, he said, okay. He said, I'll come to your home. So one important lesson that we learn from, from Jesus is simply this. Just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean that you automatically shut down the conversation with them. I'll say it one more time. Just because someone disagrees with you, that does not mean that you automatically shut down the conversation with them or the people who are part of that group. You see, one of our tendencies is, is this, brothers and sisters. It is that when we don't like what someone says, then automatically we don't want to talk to them anymore. But Jesus being omnipotent, all-powerful. Jesus being omniscient, all-knowing, uh, that he accepted the invitation. 
This invitation, it implies, at least in terms from what we seem to garner from this Pharisee Simon, is that he wanted to bring understanding between them as individuals. But according to Luke chapter 7, verses 31 through 34, no matter how much Jesus would try to explain to these men, he would never, ever make them happy. Right? Have you ever tried to exp explain something to someone? And it seems as if uh, you are talking, you're just talking, and you know that they're not hearing you. You see, here in Luke chapter 7, verse 31 through 34, Jesus knew that within their hearts that he would talk to them, but they would not hear them. But nevertheless, he accepted their invitation. Fascinating. Moving on to verse 37 in this chapter. Jesus and the Pharisees and the rest of the guests, they are reclining at table. A very interesting construction of words. They are reclining at table. Explain that in one second. And this woman from the city, right? This woman from the heart of the city, this woman of the city, that she brought ointment in an alabaster box to anoint the feet of Jesus. I mean, who in their wildest imaginations would decide to go and anoint someone's feet while they're eating dinner? Unless, I guess, if you have a dog, maybe uh, there's a dog that might come and lick your feet. But other than that, uh, while you're eating, eating dinner, you don't want anyone messing with your feet. On the other hand, unless uh, you are someone's husband, right, and you like to play footsies up under the table as you eat dinner, that's a little different. Uh, but other than that, you don't want anybody, especially a stranger, messing with your toes while you're trying to eat a slice of white meat turkey. Or smoked turkey, as a matter of fact. So... Uh, this woman from the city, you know, this urban area, right? And you know in the city you got all kinds of folks. People, they converge in the city uh, from all over the place, a diversity of colors, cultures, and personal proclivities. Uh, and this is what makes the city what it is. I love the city. My heart beats passionately for the city. And you know that in the city you can find just about anything that you can possibly imagine, both good and bad. Now it's not that you can't necessarily find what's good and bad in the country, because you know if you've ever lived in the rural area, you know that there's a lot of good and there's also a lot of bad things in the country. But nevertheless, uh, within the urban environment, uh, this was an area that was concentrated uh, with the diversity of folks, with all types of thoughts. Even though uh, they were mainly Jewish, they had all types of sensibilities. So this woman from the city, uh, she was probably from uh, the same town, obviously, where all these events were unfolding. 
So uh, you may ask yourself, so why are you sitting here talking about the city? You know, the, the, you have a, a long way to go. Oh, just hold your horses for a second. So if she's from the same town where all these events are taking place, you know what happens. It means that people knew her, or at least they have known her. How they knew her for sure, we don't know. But one thing that we know uh, that she had a reputation. Scripture says, but many knew about this lady, and they knew uh, about her sin as well. She was the type of woman uh, that had a reputation in the neighborhood. Uh, we had a lady like that in our neighborhood. I'll never forget her. But uh, she wasn't quite like this lady, I don't think, anyway. But one of the things we knew about the lady in our neighborhood is that when she showed up, uh, that for sure you can be guaranteed she had gossip to go along with it. When you would see her, the words out of your mouth would be, uh-oh, here she comes. Have you ever known a person like that? You know, full of gossip? So we had a lady or two in our neighborhood that had a reputation. Other folks had other types of reputations as well. So isn't this something, nevertheless, that it is equated that uh, the reason uh, that she had the reputation was not that she simply was in sin, uh, that it is implied that she was a prostitute. She was selling her body for money. So before she even gets a chance to, to get in, to do what her heart is calling her to do, uh, people are looking at her with disdain, all because of her reputation. Why did you all let her in? You know how she is. Uh, why would you even let her in this place to begin with? Well, can't you hear the neighborhood conversations now? I don't know who she is or what she does, but I heard that she goes around with lots of men. Again, her reputation, it preceded her. Even though her actual sin has not been uncovered to us. But one thing that we know is that she, for certain, that is, she is a sinner. She was a sinner. So isn't it interesting that the name in this passage here, the name of the city is not mentioned? Neither is the name of the woman mentioned in this passage. So since the name of the city is not mentioned thus far, and, and since the name of the woman is not mentioned in this passage thus far, uh, that the focus is on she is no good. Uh, so the writer, uh, Dr. Luke here, uh, Lucas, right, he's trying to draw our attention uh, not necessarily to the city, even though lots of things go on in the city, and not necessarily uh, to her name, but the focus goes on like a magnifying glass to the fact that she is a sinner. Who wants to be called a sinner? 
No one wants to be called a sinner. You tell your friends that, you know, you have sinned and you fall short of the glory of God. Some of them will give you pushback. But here this passage, it points to the fact that she is a sinner. This is quite fascinating, especially given the relational climate of our nation surrounding men and women today. This ancient time was also male-dominated, as you know. But here we find, at the very forefront of our story, a sinful woman. Some may even say, why would you speak of women in these terms when there are so many men that are much more sinful than women? We must, however, look at this in terms of how God sees it and how God wants us to see it, and that's in terms of all people. Again, God says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Therefore, all are in need of his grace and his mercy. But in this instance, the focus is on the sinfulness of this woman. We already know. You, you start with scripture, yeah, it starts with Eve, but you go on from there. And most of the missteps, the vast, probably about 90%, uh, 99% of the missteps within scripture are created by men. So it is people that have sinned. And I believe that one of the reasons that her sin is not necessarily mentioned, because God wants us to put ourselves in her place. Not as prostitutes. Maybe not. It, it could be, right? But what is your sin? God says that uh, put yourself in her place. Put your sin in, in her place. God wants you to see sin as your sin. See her sin as your sin. Therefore, concerning sinfulness, neither men nor women get a pass. So should a person of ill repute be allowed to mingle with respectable people. Should a person of ill repute, uh, someone whose reputation precedes them uh, with a bad reputation, should they be allowed to come in and integrate themselves among those who have respect within the community? I mean, come on, why? You know, if she had this reputation, why would they even allow her to come to this dinner in the first place? People during this time who were well-to-do, that oftentimes what they did was when they had a banquet or when they had a big <clears throat> a public dinner, they would set their servants at the front door. It's like you invite people to your house to have dinner, right? And one of the things that keep everybody from coming in uh, into, your, into your dinner is, is not only the door, but whoever keeps the door as well, right? Here's an example, right? Over my father's house this past Thanksgiving, the doorbell rings. I walk to the door. I don't know who it is, but I open up the door. He says, yeah, I need to speak to so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, just wait right there. He said, well, no, let me come in. I said, let you do what? You know, and then all of a sudden I get in my rooster pose, right? I'm like, let you do what? Oh, no, I can come in. It's okay. I said, no, it ain't okay. I said, you are going to, I don't care who you are. I said, you're going to stand right there. 
until I get the person to make sure you are who are. So if you are uh, the doorkeeper, you are responsible for who comes through that door. So these wealthy individuals, when they would have a banquet, they would be responsible to make sure that any old Jane, Dick, and Harry come into the banquet. But in this case, this woman of ill repute, she makes it into the door. Well, you see, uh, one of the reasons this is is because uh, you had various levels of people who had different types of dinners throughout uh, this society, right? You had the wealthy who would have their banquets and their dinners, and they would put their servants at the beginning uh, at the front door, uh, making sure uh, that they, uh, not anybody comes in there. And then you had the Pharisees, right, who were supposed to represent God. And when they would have a dinner, uh, they would basically invite the community. You have the table, right, where all the, the, the special guests would sit, and then everybody from the community would sit on the outskirts of the hall. And they were expected generally, you know, especially if there's a teacher, that you would come in and you need to be quiet. And if you asked a question, you had to be very respectful of that person. In this case, that's what it was, Simon the Pharisee, that he had a dinner and he invited the community into A Pharisee invited the community into his home to have dinner. So one of the people who slips in is this woman, this very sinful woman. So in our passage, we discover that she finds out, again, verse 37, 38, that Jesus was having dinner there, that he was present. So she comes into that place and she brings an alabaster box, uh, King James Version, right? Alabaster flask of ointment to uh, anoint Jesus. This alabaster flask or container uh, could have been used as a tool of her trade. What are you talking about? Well, it is uh, speculated that uh, maybe this was one of the perfuming uh, uh, things that she would use to make it smell good where she took care of her business. Well, why didn't she use olive oil? Some say that she didn't use olive oil because that probably would have been more preferred. Uh, but I, and I also know that in certain trends, uh, certain books as well, they speak of what we call, well, we would say another woman as well, who would use a very expensive perfume to anoint Jesus. But in this case, this is a little bit different. We believe that this might have been a, a totally different woman. Uh, you decide for yourself. But in any case, the olive oil would have been more expensive than this perfume. So therefore, she chose a cheaper perfume mixture. But for this woman, this perfume was just as expensive. Why? Because it was obvious the only thing of value that she could afford. There's a saying that goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So whatever the cost of that perfume, it was of significance to this woman. Did this woman know of the things people said about her, though? Maybe. In comparison to other people's occupations, she may not have had the greatest view of herself. People are calling you names all over the place. But like most people, when they are in a crunch, 
People do whatever they need to do in order to get by, don't they? And I believe for this woman it was the same thing. I don't know, maybe she lost a husband and there was no prospects of a job, so all she had was herself. I, I don't know. I don't know why she had to do this. But one thing we know that even though it was a despised occupation, one thing that we know that she's in business for a reason. Somebody is keeping this woman in business. So somebody likes what she's doing. In verse 38, the woman now stands behind Jesus and wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair on her head, kissed them and anointed them with this ointment. What in the world is he? He's having dinner. Is, she's, uh, is she up under the table? What is going on? Well, here you go. It's a very quick one. The way things were set up, right? It says that as uh, he reclined at table, uh, you have your dinner table here. Number one, it wasn't the type of dinner table where you take your chair and scoot. It was a lower table to start with. And then uh, if you were to have your dinner couch, right, you would lay on this dinner couch, right? And if your table was here, you would in essence uh, lay this way towards the table on an elbow, and then you would eat food this way or this way, reaching across this way as your feet hung out this way. Therefore, uh, the woman, uh, she was able, if she was sitting on the outskirts of the hall, she was able to walk up to Jesus from behind him and have access to his feet. She was crying her tears and wiping them with her hair and then anointing his feet with oil. Uh, that's why it mentions this. It's not anything that's uh, super bizarre. She's not up under the table as we would have a, a table. No. But why doesn't Jesus stop her? She is committed in her heart to demonstrate a deep appreciation for Jesus. With her weeping, uh, maybe she realized that there was no way back from the role that she took in her sin. See, she realized that, uh, that once she entered into that sin, if it was prostitution, that once she entered into this sin, that there was no way for return See, once I do this, I'm scarred, not scared. I am scarred for life emotionally. Who's going to love me like I need to be loved? Who's going to marry me? Who's going to marry a prostitute? Who's going to marry a woman that has been with many, many men now? Who's going to want to have children with me now? She has reached a point of no return. The men knew about her. Some men appreciated her, but they would never, ever have her as wife. What do you do? All she could do was cry. And she weeped with the tears streaming from her eyes. You see, anytime we see anyone weeping in Scripture, we realize that a decision has been made or something tragic has happened. So with this woman, something tragic has happened. And my guess is it's because she has realized that the, she is now in the point of no return. So she 
crying. As a matter of fact, the original language says this, that her, her, her tears are so profuse that it's like rain that's coming down. So this rain that's coming from her eyes, it is pouring onto Jesus' feet. His dirty feet. Her tears are streaming down her face onto the dirty feet of Jesus. She grabs her hair and cleanses the feet of Jesus with her hair. We just finished talking about this a few weeks ago. How Jesus, that he was trying to demonstrate what true leadership was. And as he uh, explained this to his disciples, uh, he did it by showing what servant leadership was by doing the menial task of washing their feet. Remember what Peter said? Peter said, no, 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 no. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you will not have any part in me. So at one point, it was Jesus who washed the feet. Now, uh, this woman, this very sinful woman, comes to wash Jesus' feet, not with a basin of water that has been drawn by someone, but by the very tears of remorse that flowed from the depths of her heart. And we again look at what is proper. We also understand not only was it strange for this, uh, this woman who was in this occupation to come before uh, Jesus, but also now her hair is uncovered. Remember during this time that if you were a woman, you couldn't walk around like this. If you belonged to the church back in the 50s and the 60s and so on and so forth, you would even wear a, a hat to church. Amen? So this woman, it was proper to have your head covered in public. So now not only is her hair not covered, but now she takes her hair out where all the men can see her hair and she's washing the feet of Jesus. She's breaking through all proper protocol in order to express her worship to Jesus. That's right. Uh, so she took her hair and she cleaned Jesus' dirty feet with her hair. We must remember that breaking with protocol, that oftentimes it is met with resistance in most places. The difference with this woman is that she had her eye on God the entire time. It wasn't about her. It wasn't about her obtaining some status. And it wasn't about getting anything from Jesus. This was mind-blowing that she would express herself like this. But to the spiritually uninformed, it is scandalous. To the unaware, uh, this could shake the foundations of that religious leader's reputation which Jesus had been building up over time. In Luke Chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus told the disciples of John the Baptist, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the, lime, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. 
The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus had all this going on for himself. All the power of heaven backed up within his very personhood. And then comes along this woman who threatens to bring a scandal to his name. Now the judging Pharisee, he enters the picture. Luke 7, verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, you see there, there's, there's a note for you right there. Uh, he didn't say this to Jesus. He said this to whom? He said this to himself. He says, self, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. When our self-imposed righteousness is so stringent, then no one can measure up to it, not even Jesus. Look at Simon the Pharisee and you will notice that he totally ignored the plight of the woman. Here this woman is, weeping and crying. She has taken her hair and she's washing the feet of Jesus. Here she is, anointing his feet from the depths of her heart. All this stuff is going on and, she, and he's acting like she's not even there. She is non-existent. He didn't acknowledge her. Didn't even ask why she was in so much pain. So much pain that led her to tears. This woman had just finished pouring out her heart through her weeping and somehow expressing gratitude for Jesus by washing his feet with her tears, with, with rivers of tears. But here this man is. Now he wants to have a conversation and totally ignores this woman. She's invisible. Has this ever happened to you before? That you felt invisible. You don't have to be a woman. See, uh, some people say, well, this is only talking about a woman. They're only talking about women's issues. So therefore, I've never... No, no, you can be a man and, and, and have felt invisible before. Someone uh, that you know that you should be a part of the conversation, but yet they overlook you because of some other things that are going on. Regardless of how much pain they seem to be in, this woman, it may even be you, she was completely ignored. And you know, it's very easy to ignore someone, especially when you have ulterior motives. So Simon was incensed with the woman. He was, he was really uh, seething on the inside because of Jesus. His feelings were a reflection, not necessarily of the woman's action, but of Jesus, who according to Simon, uh, that Jesus had the responsibility as a religious leader to keep the riffraff away from the holy men. I recall years ago, there is a preacher, I will not mention his name, you would know exactly who I'm talking about. And I recall one time he said this, he says, I don't let anybody, just anybody touch me. 
Because if I allow anybody to touch me, then virtue will flow out of me. You see, he was putting himself as if he was more holier than Jesus. So anyone that cannot be touched, that is someone that you need to run from. This responsibility that he had, that it reflected the prevailing attitudes of the Pharisees who had set up many roadblocks to prevent people from getting to God. You know, Simon was disheartened at Jesus. In other words, how, uh, if you are a Pharisee, how are you going to lead people to God if you can't even get to him yourself because you have obstacles in the way? Simon therefore falsely equated Jesus with the people who wanted to come close to him. He said if Jesus were, was a prophet like everyone is saying, then there is no way in the world he should allow Jesus, he should allow this woman that is to touch him. Never, Jesus, that is wrong. <laughs> Do the company you keep, is it a reflection of who you are? Is the company you keep a reflection of who you are? And before I answer that question, you need to know first who you are and how strong you are. Why? Because there are sometimes, there are some people you know that God has brought you out and he has brought you a long way. Can you say amen to that? God has brought us all a long way, and we never want to go back. But sometimes God calls us after he's brought us a long way. He calls us to go back and to minister to all of our friends. Amen? But if you are not strong enough in the Lord, let's say if you were an alcoholic, and you know, you, you know you're not strong, and you know you really want to minister to your friends who are alcoholics, but you can only meet them in the bar, then if you are an alcoholic and you know that you are not totally delivered, then the last place you need to find yourself is where? In a bar. Amen. Or you may even be a woman who said to yourself, you know, I really want this man. You know how it goes. Well, I know he ain't saved. And I know he's not right. But I believe that, uh, you know the story, right? Once I do what? Once I marry him, then I'm going to get him saved. Uh, you, you better think again, because number one, can't none of us save anybody. Number two, you're already, uh, you're crossing what scripture commands, and it is not to be unequally yoked with someone. So if you are dating someone who is not saved, you better run, and you better run fast. Uh, did you hear what I said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, right? Uh, if the person that you are dating is not saved, I don't care how fine they, they look. I don't care what kind of blue suit they get on, right? Uh, my wife, I, it doesn't matter. You better run and you better run fast. But you may be saying to yourself, but you don't know. I've been looking really, really hard for this man. He's going to take you under. He's going to take you under because you, if you're willing to sacrifice God's word in one area, you will sacrifice God's word in other areas as well just to keep that man there. Guarantee. That's the way it works. 
But you say, easy for you to say, because you're already married. Well, it doesn't matter. Me, it's something else, right? With you, it's this. Me, it's something else. God is always calling us uh, to obedience, regardless of where we are. Can you say amen? So do the company you keep, is it a reflection of who you are? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Did Paul get something wrong? Oh, was Jesus wrong? Well, look what Paul says again here, again in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 20. Paul says this, he says, To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, that I may win those under the law. Uh, to, verse 21, to those outside the law I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that, I, that by all means I might save some through Christ what he means. Uh, what he means is that uh, he's not uh, entering into this time of sinfulness. What he means is he, he, he's meeting people where they are. He's meeting them where they are. Well, then did Jesus get it wrong? Of course not. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. If you never go to where sinners are, then how can you lead them to Christ if you are never present in their life? Ironically, Jesus is now eating and drinking with the Pharisees here in Luke chapter 7. But given all of that, Jesus never stopped the woman. Jesus never stopped the woman from doing what she was doing. He never bowed down to the religious pressure of the elite of the day who were judging his very moves. Why this woman came to him in the first place? Because Jesus was approachable. Jesus was approachable. Look. Uh, brothers and sisters, one of the things that we must be, we must be approachable. Amen? We must be the type of person that folks can talk to us because if people don't want to talk to us, how will we minister to them? Jesus would not allow the critical spirit of some leader to deter him from accomplishing his purpose and his goal. So what do we learn from this message? Number one, we learn from the woman. We should worship the Lord regardless of who's watching and regardless of the cost. Number two, what do we learn from the Pharisee? We learn not to judge and be more generous and accepting of other people. 
Learn not to be so judgy. You know what I mean. There's certain things, and you know, people, they, they quote the scripture that says, judge not else you be judged. Well, you don't know what you're talking about because the scripture says that there's certain things that we can judge. For instance, if you are unequally yoked, if you're talking about a man who's saved and a woman who's unsaved, you are not to be married. You can judge that. There are things that you can judge. When a person lies, they lie. It's not like when someone lies to you, well, I don't want to judge you, right? You're not going to go there. Somebody lied, you're going you're gonna to call them a liar. So Jesus would not allow that critical spirit of some leader to deter him from his purpose. So learn to not to be so judgy and be more generous and accepting of other folks. And finally, Jesus teaches us to never allow people to deter us from staying on purpose and mission, regardless of who they are. I believe in just a few weeks from now that as we enter this place of outreach there in the city here, that there are going to be some people that are going to be different from you or people different from the people that you associate with. But God, he calls us to minister even to, the, to them as well. This whole message is really the background for the message I'm preaching next week. And I want you to be here to hear what thus says the Lord. Because God has this great wealth of forgiveness awaiting all of us. That even in our darkest moments, even in those moments when we are crying our heads off, that Jesus himself extends his hand out and says, come my son, come my daughter. Let's pray.